another episode of Behind the Lens. And what number is it right now? This is this is week thirty nine. Okay. This is week thirty nine. <laughs> and Good. yes, folks, you hear that voice. No. I know you almost forgot it. But he's back. I almost forgot it myself. So my cinematic cohort, Greg oh. Srizavazdi, is back. I'm going to give, give myself a little clap. Thank you. Thank you. Because so. Brian didn't think to have the applause meter going. No, for no, you. no. Brian, Jeez. no, Brian, you don't have to clap for me. He, he's, he knows me, so he doesn't have to clap. Oh, my God. So I'll God. do my one hand clap. Thank well, I am so thrilled oh. that you are back. You've missed some good stuff. You, you miss Diamond yeah. Dallas. Feel Page. the bang. DDP's feel the bang, right? You miss, you miss yeah. DDP. How was he? Was he good? Yeah, he was. He was nice. awesome. Okay, cool. Don't even don't ask me if he was in if he was no, good. I was just wondering, putting a, you know. All that does is I, tell people you don't listen to your own show. Oh, you know that's <laughs> no comment on that. No comment on no that. No comment on. I, I still haven't seen that documentary, so. Ah, well, we're going to rectify that. Mm. And, you know, just remember, October 14th, Resurrection of Jake the Snake will be at the Arclight in Culver City. DDP will be there. Jake the Snake will be there. Stone Cold Steve Austin will be there. Nice. Steve Hall will be there. And fingers crossed, I am in contention to be one of the moderators for the Q&A. So we'll see. So we'll have good news in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay, hopefully. Okay. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. But uh, that, that's a huge, huge event that... Uh, I'm looking forward to. Uh, but very quickly, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the ArcLight in Culver City for the first time, and I really liked it. Isn't didn't they do a lovely job? Yeah, yeah, it's a nice kind of. You know, it's my ultimate favorite is the one right next to Cinerama Dome. Well, so of I course. mean, that's the ArcLight Hollywood. Yeah, sure. right. Of course, but for Culver City, I think it's a perfect venue, perfect place, nice corner bar there. It's really, mm-hmm. it's a really homey feel too. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it. they they did a really, really, really good job there. So, yay, Gretchen McCord. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> another another good friend of ours. But speaking of good friends, mm. we have a very good friend of ours joining us later in the show today. Jane mm-hmm. Clark, the head crazy bitch among the crazy the crazy bee nation, mm. and uh, Jane is back with us again. I think this is her third time on the show, and she's going to be talking about. The sequel, Crazier Bitches, and the Indiegogo campaign going right now. Uh, and I'm very excited to see where this kind of universe is going to take us. I time. know. Because, yeah, the first film actually left kind of a, you know, it, it, a little bit of a cliffhanger. You wonder what's going to happen to these people. Well, you know, Sherry has some artwork done that oh, okay. she's had out on Facebook and on Twitter. And it looks like it's Christmas themed okay. with, with mommies and Christmas ornaments. Okay, okay. So, and as <laughs> we all learned in the Santa Claus, tinsel, not just for decoration anymore. Okay, ver- yes, yes. So, <laughs> who knows if tinsel might be one of, the, of the crazier events yeah. that unfold. So, we'll see what, what Jane has to tell us. But, uh, at the quarter hour mark, mm. we have Gil Cates Jr., and for those of you that don't know Gil Cades Jr., he's a filmmaker in his own right. He was an actor for a number of years. And he is the son of the beloved le- Hollywood legend, Gil Cates, former mm. president of the Academy. And Gil, Ca- Gil has a new film out. Uh, it had a theatrical release early this, earlier this year. It's now on DVD and I think VOD as well. Uh, the Surface, starring Sean Astin, Chris Mulkey. And this is really, Chris has been acting since 1976. Uh, our paths crossed in the 80s with things like Matlock and Dukes of Hazard and uh, Murder, She Wrote. But this is really a, a, a breakout starring role for Chris, um, even though he's been prominently featured on most recently on Boardwalk Empire. Okay. He had uh, a permanent role on there. But uh, interesting film. Um, so I it's th- kind of a survivalist drama, maybe? It's I think it's elements. Sur- I, I think it's survivalist, but I think it's also a relationship film as you watch these two men yeah. who are stranded in the middle of Lake Michigan uh, and at various points in their lives, and you see this melding uh, and this understanding and uh, come together. It's uh, That, to me, is more interesting. I think the, the marketing the first go-around, they were trying to market this as a thriller. Mm. Mm. I don't see this as a thriller but we can talk to Gil and also joining Gil will be the screenwriter producer and he also has a small acting part Jeff Gendelman so 
the boys will be with us at 11.15 or so. Jane will be here like 11.35 or 11.40. Okay. And in the meantime, we have lots of interview clips and things for you. Um, starting with, last week I started talking about Peace Officer, the wonderful documentary by Scott Christopherson uh, with Dub Lawrence, former sheriff uh, in uh, Utah, who, who founded the initial the SWAT team in Utah years ago. And as the tides have turned and life has changed, that same SWAT team ended up killing his son-in-law. And Dub, who got who retired from law enforcement uh, and works cleaning drains, sewers, cesspools, you know, you go from one kind of muck to the other. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Now, that was a visual. That's a visual. Trust me, when you see the documentary, you'll see it is really a visual. Mm. But Dub just, he needed answers to what yeah. happened. And as he went digging, the investigation proved to be poorly done. Mm-hmm. There were things that were overlooked. And then there were other people in the community experiencing the same things. None of the violence of the cases that are looked at and that Dub talks about, the Scott profiles, none of them are race related, which is one of the interesting things. This documentary actually, they went into post or they were in post when Ferguson happened. So all of this predated, but this was just the biggest thing that they're trying, that is shown in Peace Officer is we've gotten away from the policeman is your friend and the police are now in paramilitary tactic training mode all the time. And rather than defuse a situation, they they can escalate a situation just by the very nature of the new kinds of training and the new equipment that's brought to them. And there are some recreations because some of the cr- some of the of the crime scenes were so shot up by bullet holes nobody could restore the houses they walked away from them. Oh my goodness, so Dub yeah. went back in with the camera crew and they actually could recreate and th- thanks to geometry could actually measure where bullets should have landed because if you fire 114 rounds and police only recover 31 Where's the rest? Right. So this is the kind of stuff that Dub now does in his spare time, and Scott's cameras were there to catch it. But to pick up where where we left off last week, I talked to Scott about the construct as to how do you go, how do you decide how to approach a documentary like this? And here's what he had to say. We, you know, we certainly wanted to tease out what was going on in the film a bit, and also show Dub's. Um, his charisma, his interesting character, and then really we, you could of course watch the film, who's ever's listening to this, I guess, but the um, the backbone of the film really is Dub's son-in-law's case. You know, he started the SWAT team, as you know, in the night, the first SWAT team in Utah in the 1970s, and then that same SWAT team kills his his son-in-law, and that, that kind of irony forms the the backbone mm-hmm. of of the film and we keep continually coming back to that story mm-hmm. to, to him uncovering more truths and learning more and evidence that dub was gracious enough to give to us um, and then we we kind of as you know re, you see some recreations of, of, of him walking us through what happened. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, of the recreations and the interest in the documentary, is getting inside Dub's head, learning his thought processes. And Scott talked to me about that as well. We really wanted to show what was inside Dub's head. Mm-hmm. You know, Dub, Dub can talk, um, and what he says is really interesting. He's a charismatic guy, but I think... Getting into getting inside his head and kind of visualizing what's inside this guy's head was really interesting to me, and you know you'll see in the films these really interesting visualizations of of him picking apart a scene or having strings that it almost looks like this complex web of of bullets that he's analyzed, and and it shows really kind of the genius of of this main character and what he's done. So we knew we we knew. We wanted to follow the, the Brian Wood case and recreate that through and have Dub 
kind of live through that and walk through that mm-hmm. for us, as well as the other big, bigger case, which is the Matthew Stewart raid, where he had uncovered so many bullets, as he had mentioned. Uh, and that visualization is, I think, is important for viewers to kind of uh, understand what's going on. We started shooting this film after, you know, Dub had been collecting evidence since 2008, but we started shooting the film, interviewing Dub and following Dub in September of 2012. And then uh, we finished post-production really in January of 2015, right, you know, in preparation for South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we would follow Dub off and on, uh, I was in Texas at the time, and we we shot the majority of the film in the summers of 2013 and some in 2014. And then I would period- periodically fly back to Utah, or Brad was based in Utah, so he would shoot some scenes when I couldn't be there. Uh, we both have, Brad and I both have day jobs as documentary film professors, so we were limited in how much time we could spend, but um, it was really nice to have someone to direct with, uh, you know, I met Dub and then ran the idea past Brad and we decided to kind of do it together and and it was a really wonderful partnership for me and, and Dave is our, our producer as well, he was really great and did all kinds of unimaginable things behind the scenes to make this happen. How many So hmm. I have to say that, you know watching this all unfold it, you know, this is a police procedural a real one, but done with heart, done with sympathy, empathy, and it really sets up a great discussion for people about where our police force is headed. It seems like such like a tragic documentary too. It Just is the and premise of it. Yeah, and what amazes me is Dub is the most upbeat, happy mm. man. He, you meet him, you talk to him, mm. and even throughout the film, with all the tragedy, I mean, this is his son-in-law's murder that he's invested by fellow officers right. that he's investigating and he always maintains a smile and an upbeat attitude yeah. and uh, very religious man that takes a lot of strength eh? it, it does right. and uh, I can't recommend Peace Officer enough it really is it's a fascinating documentary especially in our times today and you know Given that last night was also the series finale of CSI after 15 years, mm. if you're craving a little really good investigatory viewing, hop on over and see a, tr- a real story. Okay, yeah. Wow. But another, a fun, fun movie that I am in love with. Yeah. You haven't seen yet. I have not seen. I have not seen. I've been... I haven't been watching movies the last couple of weeks. I know, I know. So, You've been yeah. a dutiful son, yeah. a dutiful <laughs> nephew. Yes, you could give everybody lessons in how to be a good oh, son. Oh, thank you. So what is this movie that you really love? This movie is The Green Inferno. Eli Roth right. returns to the directing chair. The trailer looks is amazing. Uh, Comedy and horror kind of in a way. It truly is. Mainly horror. Well, it depends. I found it quite entertaining. <laughs> okay. You know, but then that's me. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting. We've got a bunch of college students that mm-hmm. uh, they're going to go out and, and be activists and save the world. And right. they decide they're going to take a weekend trip down to the Amazon rainforest. And it's shot in the Amazon. It is shot. This is where Eli is shooting now in, as he calls it, Chiliwood. Aftershock, mm-hmm. which he produced. Right. Uh, that Nicholas Lopez uh, wrote and directed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nicholas is also, he's he's involved here. If if Eli's involved, Nicholas is involved because they really are true partners. And uh, they set up, they have whole studios down there in Chile. They went for this film. They went over into Peru. They went into the Amazon. They actually went, and let me see if I can find it. This is very interesting. It's because it's extremely fascinating. They went all the way down the uh, Hualaga River. Uh, the last filmmaker to ever go down anywhere near there was Werner Herzog, okay, of course, yeah. when he did Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Hmm. But Eli and company went further than that to the Kalanayaku tribe. 
No electricity, no running water, no modern conveniences. No trailers, no... No trailers, no cell phones, no nothing. No five-star hotel. No. no. None of that. And this is... They convinced yeah. the tribe to... They they tried to... Had to explain what films are and what filmmaking is. And they convinced them to let them film there. But there's so many issues that Eli brings up in here. Mm-hmm. Um, social media, activism... Um, cultural lifestyles and influences um so and it, this is he also partnered with blumhouse with this one blumhouse okay. has a new division called blumhouse tilt and as we saw with lazarus effect blumhouse also has ventured into the the issue debate with some of their films lazarus effect with science versus religion so for me this is like a perfect pairing of eli roth and jason blum cool. so at the press day i had a chance to ask some of my favorite people about these uh, writing these social issues th- thematically creating them this way and exploring them through this horror genre and Eli went into this very lovely discussion about the entire process of the Green Inferno oh nice okay Brian is taking a ca- our call from Okay, what should we do? Should we should we run our four minute clip, or should we or should we take our caller? I would say take the caller, and then we go right into the inferno. Okay, well then that's what we're gonna do. And we have the wonderful Jeff Gendelman on the line. Hello, Jeff. Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Are you? Hi. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. And I think Brian is looping in Gil. Also, are you there, Gil? I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you Hello. beautifully. I know that voice. <laughs> Jeff Gendelman, sir. How are you? Debbie, the, the work that we've done together, I, I am so proud of. And to the extent that Gil is, Gil Cates Jr. has made this whole project really reach its potential. And, and uh, oh. it's wonderful to hear your voice again, sir. And what a wonderful many-year collaboration we've had together. Absolutely, thank you, Jeff. And I'll let Debbie lead it. But I will say, yeah, Jeff, you wrote an you wrote an interesting piece of work. So it was a, <laughs> a I, pleasure to uh, collaborate with you. I have I have to agree. So Debbie, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I mean, I knew your father and had the the privilege and pleasure of speaking to him many many times over the years. So now to talk to the second generation is a real thrill, Gil. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate it. And I have to tell you, you have done your father proud. Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, and I, I appreciate I, it. I mean that sincerely. As a second generation in the business myself, I, I take our responsibility to live up to them very seriously. <laughs> but I, I really appreciate that, and uh, I, I do as well. That's just uh, why uh, I always, you know, have him in mind with everything I do. What would he do? What would that, happen? Right yeah, now? What would that conversation be? So. <laughs> Well, and what would your dad have told you to do when you said, I'm going to film a whole movie in the middle of Lake Michigan? <laughs> um, he would have said, my boy, you're nuts. Yep. Um, you know, it was, um, he would have appreciated the challenge, which it was. It was, um, it, it was a challenge. It was a great challenge and a great challenge for me personally, just at the time in my life when it happened. But um, it's something that... Um, you know, you can't really, you can only prepare for so much, and then you just go out there in the water, and, and you know, life happens. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a challenge, and I think he would have appreciated it um, uh, a lot. I mean, that's one of the things that struck me about, as I'm watching the film, once we get through the initial setup, and then we get into the, we get on the water with Sean Astin's character of Mitch uh, in this little boat, and then I'm watching what you and Jimmy Samarco did, and I'm thinking, oh, my God. Because you, you're just not filming on the water. You have underwater camera shots. You have planes crashing. You have things happening out there. This was a very involved shoot from a directorial and technical standpoint, and at the same time, fueling the the beautiful relationship that you wrote about Jeff between the characters of Mitch and Kelly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say this, and then I'll let Jeff talk. It's because Jeff wrote that beautiful relationship between these two people and the journey that each of them take that made all of us want to work 
on all the all the, the tough logistics of shooting on water and um, uh, and deal, you know, having to rehearse late at night. So when we got to the set the next day and it took three or four hours to set up the boats and anchor them, because, you know, this wasn't a $50 million movie where we could just leave barges out in the middle of the water. So we had to kind of reset up every day. And all of that, I think if it was for a project or a genre or a, um, a character study that we didn't believe in, would have been deflating. But because we all believed in it so much, what we were doing, that it kind of, you know, lifted us all to do the extra whatever it is that each of us, and there were a lot of us that had to do extra things, um, um, you know, had to do because because of the kind of interesting uh, story that, that Jeff laid out. Mm-hmm. And Jeff, tell me, where did this story come from? I know initially when the film was... Debbie, like, you're a little faint. Oh, I oh. oh yeah, a little faint. So I'm I'm doing my best to stay with you. Oh, yeah, for me too, by the way, Jeff. But I could hear it just oh, okay. enough. But yeah, oh, you're not well, alone. Th- they're having trouble hearing Brian. Do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> just a little faint. Um, I have like to say, that. Debbie, in listening to what Gil just said, it, it certainly made every single person on this shoot appreciate land so much better because <laughs> <laughs> it was rather unpredictable. And but we knew that going into it, uh, and because it. The pre-production, the, the development of this particular project lasted so long that we had to have many, many plans, plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, mm-hmm. and eventually we went with P. <laughs> so it, so it, it really made a difference. But Gil, he was really the first director uh, the many, many, many years that I kept looking for directors, kept looking for different producers. He was the first one that really believed in yeah, let's let's do this in Milwaukee. Let's actually use Lake Michigan. Because all the other directors, they wanted to do it in the Caribbean, the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Gulf of Mexico. And an ocean, it's difficult to make it a great lake. But a great lake can look like an ocean. Mm-hmm. And because Lake Michigan is a co-star in the movie, it was very important that, that I hold out to shoot it in the location in the, in the upper Midwest in the Milwaukee area and on Lake Michigan, and, and including any good film, as you would agree, really does educate in some way. And nobody really knows the Great Lakes. Um, and, and it really has a wonderful personality. Uh, and even though we only had a two-month window every single year to shoot this because of the relative <laughs> calm of July and August of every year in the uh, Great Lakes area, uh, the other months are, are way too hazardous to shoot this kind of picture. Mm-hmm. So every March, for years and years, I would I would really ask myself, are we ready to go in July? And whether you know it was the the cast or whether it's the financing, whether it was the DP, you name it. It was just that. And finally, in 2013, everything lined up two years ago, and and that's why we were able to to, to move on and and uh, actually have a have a go at it. Uh, and again, in my life, as in many lives, everything is for a reason. So it, it wasn't ready five years ago. It wasn't ready eight years ago. It wasn't ready 15 years ago. And every year the script got better. Uh, there have been probably 75 drafts, 159 polishes throughout the years. And, and also, I didn't have Gil. I didn't have Jimmy San Marco. So Jimmy San Marco came out about five years ago, and um, in, in, in a rare turn of events, the DP was brought on before the director. Wow. And as Gil and, and, and any other great director can attest to, the, generally the director has a say in the DP. And I just knew Jimmy was a, a good, had a good sensibility about the Midwest, um, and I had more knowledge of the Los Angeles and the New York uh, uh, crew, but not really the upper Midwest. And Jimmy is shooting a lot in the Chicago-Milwaukee area. Mm-hmm. So he was brought in to handle a lot of the below the line and um, and Gil and Jimmy hit it off wonderfully, uh, and um, so that really helped a lot on on, on the uh, uh, production side. And I'll say and I'll say this just to add to what Jeff said. So I remember when after I read the script and Jeff told me that Jimmy or before and after I read it that he had a DP involved. I said I really like the script. I really like you. Jeff and I had a mutual friend or two, yeah. or maybe more in retrospect, but at the time okay. one or two. And um, we, I said I just I need to meet this Jimmy Samarco guy. And uh, Jimmy flew out to L.A. I don't know if it was to meet me or he had something else here, but we had a great breakfast, and I knew right afterwards, I was like, this is, I would be silly not to want someone who is from Milwaukee 
to shoot in Milwaukee, who'd been living with the project for a couple of years, you know, you know, in his mind. And um, so that was the, once I met Jimmy, I knew, you know, that's when I officially committed. Hey guys, this is Greg, Debbie's co-host, and I have a quick question about Mitch, Mitch's journey in this movie. His life is pretty much torn apart by, by tragedy, and he's kind of receding into his own life. I'm just wondering, what is it about Mitch's story that really uh, drew you guys into to his journey, and could you relate to that journey yourselves? Jeff, I'll let you... Uh... Yeah, sure. Uh, everything in the picture is based on actual events. Uh, I cobbled the story together as the writer uh, and uh, the vision of the myself as also the producer uh, throughout the many, many, many years of development of this story. Um, Mitch is, is an everyman, and he was at a point in his life where some of us get to, where it's not all heading in the direction that we thought it should be by the time you reach 40-something. Mm-hmm. And when all of these events conspire against an individual, uh, no matter what, life is worth living. Even on the darkest days, there's light. Tomorrow is a new day. And those are part of life's riddles, Greg, that, that I like to deal with as a writer. And, and, and certainly the surface uh, illuminates these riddles. And uh, these two people... Mitch and Kelly, they'd never be friends in real life, but circumstance brought them together, and uh, they're antithetical uh, in a structural sort of way. And I, I re- really gravitated toward that, that uh, yin-yang of characters. So without one, they, they would both be dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They needed each other. They'd become each other's guardian angels. And that was very intriguing. And, of course, the actors, the amazing Sean Astin and the amazing Chris Mulkey, and even Mimi Rogers love the script. Well, and, and the Mimi actors throughout the many, many, many years of development always love the script. Mm-hmm. They, they mm-hmm. just really gravitated toward it. It's just a matter of timing to find the right person and, and uh, make sure all the, the uh, elements come together to, to uh, have a production. But I always enjoyed that relationship where it was character-driven, this story never relied on car chases. It never relied on large explosions. It never relied on sex. And that's okay in other movies, yeah. no doubt about it. But this one wasn't going to be having those elements because of the matters of the heart. It really made it, made it so that caregiving, that nursing quality, mm-hmm. that you never know who is going to be your guardian angel. Mm-hmm. And such is the case with Mitch. And when everything was done and everything is lost and there, 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 there's no friends and the mom is, is, is quite deep in the, the state of Alzheimer's and dad was just killed, his girlfriend was killed, and um, he had a, his job wasn't that great. And uh, um, even so, life is worth living. And that's a message that's extremely important to put out into the world. And as a result... We're having wonderful feedback from audiences all, all over our country, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and it hasn't, not, hasn't been released yet around the world. And now it's just, it's just been released on demand in DVD just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so once we started hearing back from audiences and, and certain, certainly film festivals that's done very well around the country, they, a lot of them shared that they, they would say thank you after watching it. Thank you. I, I'm going to show this movie to my dad who's not doing very well. He has depression. Or another person in the audience would say, you know, I wish I'd have showed this to my mother before she committed suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. So it's really having this whole wonderful secondary, um, uh, uh, wonderful benefit to audiences, not only those of us who are on track, who cerebrally, you know, mentally, we're okay, but those of us who might look okay on the outside, but really it's inside we're a little bit off track. We might have anxiety or PTS or PTSD or stress or are suicidal or are deeply depressed, but now look that way. And that's 20 to 25% of the world as I'm talking with more psychiatrists and psychologists mm-hmm. about these, these staggering statistics about people with 
mental you know, mood disorders. And so we're finding that the armed forces are gravitating to the film now. Not only the United States Coast Guard and the U.S. Army, and I'm speaking in a couple of weeks over at Dover Air Force Base mm-hmm. in front of, I, I think they told me about a thousand airmen and airwomen about how do you be resilient in life? How do you find That's cool, man. You didn't tell me that. That's awesome. <laughs> that just happened. Yeah, and great. How do you find, uh, when, you, when you think you, you've got that, that, that PTS or PTSD, um, how, do you, how do you find hope? And they're finding that when people watch this movie, they can begin a conversation to find hope because of watching these two guys deal with each other, and they become friends, mm-hmm. and, and they, they need each other. Um, so you just never know where it's going to come from. And, and the, this whole aspect of Guardian Angels is, is, is a, a wonderful life riddle I'd love to explore. Well, and, you know, a testament to making this work. The idea of Mitch is somebody who's at the end of his rope and has nowhere to go, and we have Kelly who will do anything he has to to keep his family afloat. Um, If this had been in the hands of less experienced actors, and especially Chris, who just, this is his leading role of his career. Correct. And he is just... The range of emotion that he brings, you feel the anger, you see him lapsing in and out of lucidity, you know, from his injuries, from a plane crash. And, you know, it just, he he is the one that really, really puts it out there for Sean to then feed off of. It, it, impeccable casting job matching these two guys up, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Joel, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very important. And also, Dovetail, Debbie, off of that fact of rehearsal that Gil brought up earlier, these guys understand the rehearsal process. They love the theater. They like to dive in. The script was always okay. They just made it really, really good. And mm-hmm. with Gil at the helm, it made it that much better. And, and again, every night we'd explore the next day's uh, shoot, the next day's pages, and they loved diving in and just really going to the whole other level of understanding of these characters. And as a result, uh, we see this wonderful uh, arc of their characters, mm. and the actors themselves love the movie. So they're big ambassadors uh, for the surface. And, and, of course, that makes us really happy. Well, I have to say, you know, it's well known Mimi Rogers is very particular about the roles that she will take. So if Mimi is attached to a script, um, you know there's something there. <laughs> I will tell her you said that. She'll yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the greatest challenge? Once you finally got your financing, finally got this put together, what was the greatest logistical challenge about making the surface happen? The water. <laughs> the water. <laughs> Greg, Debbie, there's no question. I mean, you're... We could have easily, we were offered that same tank in Mexico that All is Lost was shot in. Oh, the Titanic, the, the Titanic tank. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't have that kind of money anyway to begin with to even consider shooting in a tank, how expensive that is. But it wouldn't have been as real. Right. We needed the conflict, the nature of being on location on this great lake and the, air, the, the shifting winds, the, the water currents. In fact, it's the sixth largest freshwater lake in the world. It mm-hmm. has more shipwrecks per square mile than anywhere in the world, any water in the world. And people don't know that. And so here we are on this, uh, trying to anchor this little 17-foot picture boat. Uh, <laughs> you know, and in back of the camera, we've got the support boats. But, you know, off camera, you've got these riggers and these gaffers trying to you know, control everything and, the, and, the, and the, 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 the waves. And, you know, it's very, very, the grips, I should say, not the gabbers. But, so it's extremely difficult to, to just be with a body of water. You can't tame it. You just have to be with it. And had we had a longer shoot, um, you know, it might have been a little bit different here and there in the story, in the different parts here and there. But the fact is, the heart of the matter came out in, in, in the story. 
Mm. And that's what we fought for. Well, you certainly succeeded. I mean, it's, it really, it's, it does, it speaks to the heart, it speaks to relationships, and it speaks to positivity and hopefulness. Well, thank you. Wonderfully said. Well, you know, my curious thing is, I I wondered what is the first time, when was the first time you guys actually saw it at a screening, had it screened in that darkened room and getting that reaction from the audience? That must have been probably one of the best feelings throughout production for both of you. I mean, for me, um, and by the way, as I mentioned to Tim, I have to jump off in two seconds, and I apologize for that. But just for me, um, it was the first time we had people other than Jeff, myself, and our wives look at it. We had a little screening in an editing room, um, in a little screening facility in the editing room for about 12 people, and um, learned a lot about it, too, because like any piece of art or project that you work on, you see what works and see what doesn't. You you know, you see what doesn't work, but... um, that was really satisfying to know that some of the time and the moments that we were taking um, were working. And, you know, it's because, again, it's a, it's a slow build to movie compared to what is typically out there now. And mm. it's two guys basically on a boat for 90% of the movie. So seeing it with people and feeling that they were with it, and then, of course, getting their feedback after um, was really helpful and rewarding. Well, guys, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. I hope that. When, for your next project, you will come back. Wonderful. Of course, if you guys are as, if you guys are as nice as you sound, I'll I'll come back after <laughs> a, a good dream. Hey, you know, I, I, every you know, I tell everybody I'm an equal opportunity offender, but <laughs> it, you know, it, there are some. And, pro- and, and Debbie, if people want to know more about the picture, they can certainly go to our Facebook page, The Surface Movie. Okay. And it's also, go, you, know, you know, see some pictures and, and the website, the Surface it Movie. It's available on Amazon and iTunes, and it's in every Best Buy and Walmart in North, uh, in, in the states and Canada right now. Uh, and so, then and the, the SurfaceMovie.com is the website. Okay. That you were and we will also have all of the social media information on the video of the of the show later this week uh, oh, af- after it's edited. So all of that will be on there too, so that people can find you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you both so much, Greg. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Greg, thank you. Debbie, thank thank you. you. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. And she's here, the leader of the Crazy Bee Nation, Jane Clark. Hello. Hello, Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just, you know, pushing the ball up the hill. Well, and that's that is why you're here. So that how far up the hill are you right now? <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm I'm really very close to the bottom. <laughs> okay. And the rock is very or the ball is very heavy, but uh, you know it always gets there eventually. Yeah. It's just a matter of how long and how hard. Okay. Good. So everybody already knows about crazy bitches, but now we're into the next stage with crazier bitches. Yeah, we're getting crazier. I've decided to uh, up the ante on everything, basically, because you know it was interesting when I was when I was shooting Crazy Bitches. I had this strange delusion that I was going to make a PG thirteen movie <laughs> that I could, you know, appeal to a wider group of people. And I should have known just by reading my own script that there was no way it was going to be that that's what I was going to end up with. But I curtailed a lot of things that I might have gone further with in an effort to do that. And it was a mistake, but I decided to take the, take the, take the limitations off of this one and really go for it. So it's, uh, it's going to be a wild ride. And I've you know, finished the script. I mean, I'm never finished, but I've got it to a place right now where I just, it's, it's so good. I'm so excited about it. I just can't wait to actually be on a set shooting this thing. Well, and to get you on that set, you've got an Indiegogo campaign running right now. I do. I've got an Indiegogo campaign to get it, it basically to get it started while I look for additional funds from sponsorship and product placement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea is to try to, I have this grand plan where if I could get, if I could raise enough money through donations product placement and sponsorship i'm going to give the movie away for free for a week wow and uh because you know i, I told you guys about the piracy that we had we mm-hmm. got hit with. and i started thinking about well how do you turn that into a positive because it does say that people are interested and that you've got a fan base and that 
you know, when we do crazier, we're going to have the same kind of reaction. So instead of trying to fight it, I'm trying to figure out a way to join it mm-hmm. and then take control of it to some degree. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to give my, if my movie is going to go out there for free anyway, how do, how do I <laughs> control that, you know? And I, I mean, because I've gone over your whole Indiegogo campaign and I love the way you've broken it out and the whole idea of sponsor, uh, sponsorship and, you know, product placement. I, you really have succinctly broken this out so that people, anybody can can be part of this. Well, that's the plan. I mean, how, how can I engage everybody for the journey? Because, I, you know, I get a lot of people that are I can find people that are really interested in not just the film itself but the process and being involved in the process of getting it made and um, you know I think the more in, more inclusive I can be it's helpful to me to have outside opinions on things and and to have people on for the, for the journey because I'm getting I'm getting another viewpoint so that's that's cool and, and that that changes how I look at things I actually have a reader that I always go to who's a minister in Colorado um, non-denominational minister because her outlook on life is so completely different from mine that I get a really fresh perspective. Mm-hmm. And I find when I get emails from my fans going, hey, did you think about this? Or I really love this actress. Could you think about casting her? You know, I get a lot of that. And it's, it, it gets me thinking outside the box. Um, and I, I find it, it makes it more fun, too, when you're not alone going, you know, going on the journey. Well, I know Greg's, so, Greg's got the Indiegogo page up on his laptop right now and you've got some of your perks are already sold out yeah well we have you know those those are like one-offs really and i did put up a new indiegogo um intro video that was a little more comprehensive than the one that was up there before Mm -hmm. um because i realized that you know i don't i don't just need to go to the people that already know me i need people to understand who i am outside of that group, mm-hmm. but um, but the perks are really fun. I mean, I tried to think about in each section. So if you you know when I'm doing development, what is development? Development is the script, and it's uh, the LLC, and it's um, hiring a casting director and doing casting. It's those kinds of things. So I tried to gear a lot of the perks to that or to to throw back to Crazy Bitches. So mm-hmm. if people don't know Crazy Bitches. It's an introduction, you know, they can get the DVD, they can get the script, they can get things that introduce them to the first movie to get them excited about the second. So when I move into pre-production, those perks are all going to change, and they're going to deal with things that I'm dealing with in pre-production. Mm-hmm. So it should be fun. I, I mean, mean, I think it I, be fun. I think it's one of the most original um, um, campaigns that I've seen. Oh, good. Thank you. And you know how many I, I look at all the time. And I, <laughs> and I just, no kidding. And I just laugh at and go, pass. Um, no, it's, it, and the fact that people, if they don't, have not seen Crazy Bitches, they need to because it is hilarious. Yeah. Very well written. Yeah. And very well Thank shot, you. too. Yeah, very well shot. I love, I love the locations, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good location's pro- awesome. Great production value on them. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. True. <laughs> I, I mean, I you know, it's we we do. It, you know, it's interesting because when you're pirated, you don't have you don't know who, who or where or what where are people coming from because they're often somebody else's, you know, zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the trick is like how do you find those people that pirated it and liked it because they may come back and they may go I'll support you even if it's the eleven dollar, you know, the eleven dollar thank you perk. Which mm-hmm. by the way, and I'm. Indiegogo doesn't allow raffles and things, but what I'm doing is that anybody that enters in at $11 gets the $11 thank you perk, mm-hmm. gets uh, put into a raffle to name Guinevere Turner's character. Oh. Yeah, because somebody bought that perk and then gave it back to me as a donation oh, to nice. raffle it off to raise money. That's very nice. Wow. That yeah, is... so so it's kind of, the kind of fun things. I mean, Guinevere's character is very, uh, you know, soap opera Susan Lucci sort of grand <laughs> dom and um, it could be fun coming up with a with a name for her it's like a three three you know first middle and last and, and then I like I love I don't know it's a little pricey but because it's very particular and I only have one opportunity to have it but if you're into that kind of thing you can actually plan a murder that ha- is going to happen you can pick the ornament and then talk with me about uh, you know how you see it happening and I'll do my best to incorporate ideas that somebody brings to the table <laughs> with the script that I already have. 
So that's kind of a fun one. And I, I really like, and nobody's taken it yet, but I, you know, I have this poster, which I use this sort of filler girl that I, I shot uh, on a, an early poster we had for Crazy Bitches. And I, if you want to shoot yourself laying dead on the ground with as many, <laughs> much blood as you want and whatever particular murder weapon you want. And you have the best I'll blood guy around. Oh, my God. The, so you could have yourself dead in a crazier bitch. Okay, poster. which perk is that? Which which perk is that? Uh, I, I might. I, what it's called. I think it's like I think it's called. Um, I, I'm. I, there's some people that I think I would pay just to have that poster made to see them that, laying their dead. That's. I think that's the B is in the poster. B is in the poster. Oh. Yeah, I'm not gonna say the entire oh, word. Oh, B is in the poster. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because I'm. We don't want to actually say that word. No, because no, no. You, I'm just. I'm just. Because as Jane, as Jane and I know, we're always held to a quota <laughs> on that word. The quota. The quota. No, the I, quota. I. I like the ninety-nine dollar perk, which, along with the signed copy of the script and the DVD, the original film, you also get a Skype convo with, Jane. You know, Jane. And yeah. And you get to actually talk about filmmaking, and she'll give you advice on, you know your journey as an indie filmmaker. So that would be really helpful for up-and-coming filmmakers, too. So just having that Skype Yeah, combo. that one's been pretty popular, actually. Yeah. My husband was like, oh, be careful how many. I mean, how many hours in a day do you have? And I was <laughs> like, oh, no, it's not like a 1,000 are offered. There's only 30. You know, there's only 30 opportunities for yeah. it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's not... And I, and I love talking. I love talking to people. I like talking to lay people who just have a curiosity about how film happens or just have questions about something that might have happened on the set or how did this how did you make this murder happen which is always a question you get and and I also love talking to you know filmmakers who are up and coming I mentor mm -hmm. filmmakers when I when I have an opportunity and um yeah I really enjoy it so for me it's a perk too because I I get to communicate with uh, somebody who's as interested as I am in what I do and yeah so well I just like the fact that people can act well, they'll be able to talk to you and say how do you make that murder happen? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what really happened between those girls when the cameras weren't rolling? <laughs> yeah, you know, was there any real bloodshed going on? Yeah, exactly. Because, uh, I actually think, you know, I'm thinking about the experience of shooting crazy bitches. I've been re really planning out crazier, not just in terms of shooting the film, which, you know, writing the script and shooting the film, that's something I, I do as a matter of course, but to really also prep this time so that we're shooting how, you know, really shooting how, how do we make the prosthetics for this particular murder? Mm -hmm. how, how do we make these things happen? Shoot it behind the scenes so that I can put it as part of the, per the uh, extras package mm -hmm. so people can really get an insider view. I find, like, it's really strange to me, but people, filmmakers tend to want to hide the truth about, the mechanics behind things mm -hmm. right. like it will take the fun away or take the mystery away but i i think it's i don't think it does that and i think that there's a lot of people out there that are curious that would like to know so i'm going to try to be more proactive on my extras this time and think about what somebody might want to see and then make sure we have it on film so now so everybody can go and get involved the let's see the indiegogo it's what it's indiegogo.com and no, the it's, it's um, it's igg. dot me backslash at backslash crazier bs. Or you can just Google it on Indiegogo to crazier bees, mommy, yeah. mommy behaving bad, mommy's behaving badly. Yeah. Or you can find it through me on all my various on Facebook, on Twitter, and we're gonna have, as you know, all of that is gonna be on the video of the show. Cool. So, cool, cool, cool. so that people don't have to take notes while they're listening, they can just look later in the week and watch, and they'll see it there. Yeah, to at least go check it out. You know, there's uh, the the video is kind of fun that I put up because I'm using clips from the old, the old film, and uh, and you know, I just the perks are fun. So you can get involved in a very you know small way, or you can get involved mm -hmm. in a bigger way. There's options for everybody, and they'll be changing every week. I'll be I just put up a name name Candace Kane this morning, because Candace. You just officially signed on with me. Wonderful. So, huh? Wonderful. Yeah. she's. Uh, I mean, I, we've been talking about it for ages, and she had already said, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in with that, whatever you're doing. But I never like to announce it until I get 
until we talk and I'm at, you know I get a yes of course I'm in and they yeah. I know she's read the script and she loves it so and that's kind of fun because she's playing this you know woman who's lost her husband and child and she's a, drowning her sorrows in alcohol and she's got a questionable sexual past with this boy <laughs> and it's it's a really fun big tragic role that I think she's going to really pull off but you can go name her you have you know well. After we're done the show today, I'm going to go in and look at all the new perks now. I may have to help my favorite crazy bitch even more. I'm just amazed. <laughs> I'm looking at the figures right now on Indiegogo. I, I, I'm kind of amazed that you shot crazy bitches for 220k. It looks a lot yeah. more expensive than that. So, wow, amazing. That's what makes the piracy yeah. issue even more egregious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that's, well, that's, that's where it gets crazy because when you work so hard to find ways to make the budget that limited and you, you make a lot of sacrifices along the way to do that you think that you're doing it because you can make that money back for your investors because you're being right cautious and you're being responsible and even even that budget level doesn't get made back if you lose mm -hmm. the bulk of your uh, of your viewings to uh, piracy. It's just, yeah. wow. it's, a, it's crazy. We're in a crazy world right now in terms of distribution and how people view movies. And it's just one of the reasons why I want to try to find another way to finance it and just join the pack, you know, because yeah. uh, I even thought maybe going to some of the, the piracy sites, some of the torrent sites and say, look, I'll give it to you, but you need to only put my U URL up and let's work together. You know, mm -hmm. and you can have it for a week, and and everybody who wants to see it for free and won't pay anyway, go at it, have a good time. Mm -hmm. You know, wow. Well, that's you, the plan. Well, my friend, I thank you so much for joining us again today. Always my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And of course, you will be back as you as we keep updating perks and get further into the pre pro. Excellent. I will look forward to it. Thank you so much, thank Jane. You. Have a great day, you guys. You too. Bye. Bye. And that was Jane Clark. So interesting. Such an interesting interview. Jane is so always. Yeah. I, I adore her. Yeah. I the adore her. The thing is, she has really great content. You know, her films are really good. And it's just about getting that financing and, and making, even more important, making sure it's not pirated to that level. Yeah. So. Because, I mean, you and I were both mortified when, yeah. she, when we found out how, how many hundreds of thousands of dollars were, of downloads were pirated. Yeah. All of her investors could have been paid back. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So we'll see. We're going to watch this one closely and see what happens with the sequel. I'm excited to see which if she gets the the money, what she's going to do with the 550. Yeah. Because it the original looks really good. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. Well, now you know we promised you Eli Roth. So let's hear Eli Roth talking about the Green Inferno. Right now. And this is the first movie I directed after having acted under Quentin, and it changed the way I wrote. You know, when you've acted alongside Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, Mel you know, Diane Kruger, like it, it changes the way you approach writing a character. You're really approaching it from an actor's point of view. And there was so much I learned from Quentin, from the way I write the characters to ditching the monitor. There's no monitors, there's no chairs, there's nothing, there's not even trailers. We were truly in the Amazon. Um, but it gave the film a certain kind of energy, a certain kind of look. I was operating a camera a lot. I was in the, in the movie. You know, when we're writing the movie, um, I, you know, even Cabin Fever came from fear of AIDS and disease. Hostel came from my reaction to this kind of George Bush America of policing the world and this feeling of invincibility that Americans can buy and sell anything, and then they become the thing that is bought and sold. And Green Inferno, it's really came out when we were seeing this kind of Twitter shaming going on. I remember after we finished the draft of the script, we were all getting on a plane and all of a sudden our Twitters blew up and everyone's going, Coney 2012, what's wrong with you? Haven't you, how come don't you care about child soldiers? And we're like, what the is this? Like everyone got this very high and mighty self-righteous attitude about something they hadn't heard of 24 hours earlier. And then a month later, it was Free Pussy Riot. And don't you care about these girls that are, that are and if you don't tweet about Pussy Riot, then you must be anti-freedom of speech. And then if you're not tweeting about bring back our girls, then you must, do you spell Boko Haram? And what's wrong with you? And like, you're, you're Gamergate, you're, you're an SJW, you hate women, like people go, crazy and there's this kind of now that we have this connectivity look i think that social media is an amazing tool i saw you know the arab spring and what you're seeing going on in ferguson you can see the news as it's happening and you can call people out on terrible injustices 
But there's also, you see the kids in the green inferno, it's not that they care about saving the rainforest, they care about being recognized for, for caring. And that's, you know, it's not when they chain themselves to the trees and do the protest that when they, when they stop the protest, they're crying, they're upset, they're just, they're going, what the hell did we get into? But when they made it, when CNN retweeted them, then they're happy, then that's the party. They made the homepage of Reddit, and boom, and those are the people I want to see crash. So, you know, I want to see them get eaten by people that are like, oh, you're an invader, you, you're a food supply. So, what's interesting to me, and Jason and I have talked about this, is that the haunted house is never as scary the second time through that the first time you see a movie, the blood stains your eyes and you just see red. You come out of it with those images. But I love the movies you can watch again and again and again. And sometimes you're like, oh my God, they're saying that. That's really interesting. Oh, wow, that tracks all the way through. You see that like, oh, wow, Justine kept her flute in Moby Dick. Moby Dick is, uh, Melville has references to Queequeg's a headhunter in that movie. There's a little cannibal thread there. And they're, okay, Lynn Skye, what she's talking about, the protesters, the way they just, those, those people don't want to care. They just want to look like they care. That when you give people something to chew on, that the second time they're watching it, they're not, they're not watching a horror movie. They're watching it, okay, watching a movie, watching an adventure movie. And that's what, you know, Jason, when he, when he saw the movie, you know, the first battle was kind of making the movie. The second battle was rescuing and saving the movie. Um, and Jason was amazing, but he really saw, you know, we like horror films. We don't want to make a movie that's just going to play to one weekend. We want a weekend 15 years from now that people are still talking about the movie. And that's what Jason does so well in his films. And also with Nicholas, you know, being from Latin America, you know, our, we, we live in a world that's a mixture of cultures. You know, this is a very, most of the kids are, are Latin, but we, we, we write, okay, there's Alejandro and there's Daniel has an accent, but we never, we're not writing Latin characters, we're just writing characters. That nobody, in, in fact, Lorenzo's Latina, but she's playing a, a white girl. It's not, you know, she's playing a gringo. So there's no address, like we never, we're just, these are just characters in the movie and this is the world and some of them have accents and that's a reflection of the world that we live in. We feel- so that, that pretty much covers... Everything. Every aspect yeah, of yeah. the film. Yeah, they should just have an Eli Roth podcast with him just speaking for about an hour straight. Oh, but Eli... It's riveting. His stuff is riveting. He's so, he's so intelligent. He yeah. is so well-spoken and he's so passionate about his project. He has a couple of opinions here and there. And, which, you know, I, I yeah. like the way he infuses yeah. social issues. Uh, you know, and now that Blumhouse is team, has teamed up with him in the BH Tilt division, yeah. I think this is a perfect marriage. Yeah, and he's not afraid to... He's, he doesn't hide behind his storytelling. He actually has a pointed, you know, opinion about things. So about his genre specific films. So well, so the movie's good, right? Oh, I th- okay. I think it's fabulous, and right. the use of uh, shooting down in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Number one, you know, it's going to look beautiful. Shows up on the frame, right? It does look beautiful. Oh, okay. But beyond that, the cinematography hmm. dazzles because everything is saturated. Okay. So we are in this very heightened sensibility. For the whole film, much as he did, much as was done with Aftershock, much of what as what Nicholas Lopez did with Aftershock, we get that again here, okay. and Eli sticks to the primary colors of red, yellow, and green. You know, warning, stop, go, green trees, go. It's beautiful, it's marvelous. Red blood, ooh, bad, stop. Yeah. And obviously, we just got the music that we have to stop already. So we didn't yeah. get to anything on 99 Homes from Laura Dern and Ramin Barani. Um, hopefully next week. Uh, next week also joining us will be Noel Clark, writer, director, actor of The Anomaly, which is now on DVD. And hopefully you'll be here. It depends on what happens with our press day yes. next week. Yes. Both hopefully. of us. We'll both, we'll both be doing interviews next week on the upcoming movie Truth. Yes. Um which is fascinating. Very good. The Dan Rather story. Um, and this, and the one instance uh, with the George Bush uh, military service records. So um, depending on when they get our time set for our interviews, you may be here, you may I not. May be. Yes. We'll see. Okay. And then hopefully the following week we'll have, I'm hoping... Some big, big surprises that week. Oh, nice. Now you're going to surprise me. I I try. Okay, that's it. We're out.